everyone. Welcome back to our March podcast for the Pastry Arts Club. Today we're going to be talking about food trends with a bunch of really cool guests. So we have both Chef Legal and Chef Miskovich here, as well as Molly, who is a fellow student here at JWU and is also working on a thesis which involves food trends. So she has some really interesting opinions and ideas to add to this podcast. So if you all just want to take a second to introduce yourself in case anybody here doesn't know who you are. Okay, uh, I, this is Chef Lagal. Uh, I've been teaching at uh, Johnson & Wales since 99. Uh, yeah, that, that long ago. <laughs> um, I teach uh, mainly uh, chocolate sugar and some cakes class, classes. I'll leave it as that. Hi, uh, my name is Molly Bescher. I am a junior in the baking and pastry uh, program. I am also in the Honors College and currently working on my thesis um, where I am focusing my research on uh, understanding food trends. Um, and so I am so happy to be part of this podcast to kind of talk about that and uh, get uh, these two wonderful chef's opinions and a little different viewpoints on that. Uh, and I'm Chef Moscovich. I've been teaching at Johnson Wells for 18 years, and uh, I teach bread classes, and I also uh, serve as department chair along with Chef Livornia, uh, which means we still teach, but we also just do things to support students and, and faculty and do ad admin type stuff like that. Perfect. Thank you guys all. And my name is Maggie and I am a member of the Pastry Arts Club. So I'm excited to be able to be a part of this podcast with all of you guys today. So we can go ahead and get started. So Molly, I know you, when you introduce yourself, you talked a little bit about how you're doing your thesis on food trends. Um, but it would be great if you could just dive a little bit deeper into that and tell us about this because it sounds like some really interesting work and like an opportunity that people should really know more about at the college. Yeah, absolutely. So I um, am in the culinary college. However, I'm lucky enough to also um, be in the honors college where um, I'm being supported by a lot of the faculty members that are allowing me to find a research topic that is centered around something that is my passion, which is the culinary world. Um, so uh, Professor Wagner and Chef uh, Miskovich are, Chef Miskovich um, is my thesis advisor and Professor Wagner um, is the advisor for the Honors College and they have both done a lot in helping and supporting me um, conduct research academic research in a culinary um, culinary idea, culinary question. Um, for my thesis, I decided uh, to focus on researching food trends. I was very interested in seeing how businesses are able to take these food trends that pop up, whether they be in social media and they're fads and they pop in and they're so popular, like the crazy milkshakes or sushi burritos or using charcoal in foods and what chefs who are in uh, control of creating menus or food service professionals who are creating products um, or lists of wines and things like that and how they are influenced by these food trends or food movements. 
So my um, research thus far has been where food trends affect um, the culinary industry as of now. And what my question is, is how chefs and food service professionals are negotiating these food trends. Oh, yeah, that sounds really interesting. Has there been anything that's really shocking or surprising or just maybe not what you expected during your research, either in the process or just the food trends in general? Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the most shocking things that I uncovered throughout my research was when I was reading a book from the 1980s about um, manufacturing trends in food and these trends that we see today, like the farm to table movement and um, sustainability and things like that are trends that are not necessarily new now. They are, they have a new name. However, a lot of trends that we see or food movements that we see appeared earlier in, uh, you know, the culinary history, they keep popping up. So a new flow, a new, you know, a new reimagining of these food movements kind of come comes about. And um, I think that's something so interesting that food trends just kind of, they keep popping up and it's the same stuff that we saw earlier. And then people take new spins on it and make it more original. So I think that's one of the biggest takeaways that I've seen from my research thus far. Definitely. And everything that you've just said has been really interesting. And I think it's important that people hear about this and learn more because it's definitely a really cool thing that you're doing. And I think definitely will have lasting impact on your schooling and life in general. So thank you so much for sharing that with us. Absolutely. No, it's, it's helped so much. Even in my classes that I'm taking now, I get so excited because I'm applying all of this information. I'm diving so much deeper into food trends and I'm able to apply it into my classes. And so now I'm seeing all of my academics kind of fold in with my culinary labs, fold in with my social media posts that I see and all of these famous chefs that I follow and it's all coming full circle. So it's really, it's been a really fun, interesting way to kind of see how my past year has gone about. Yeah, that's really interesting that you said that because I know a big theme I've noticed in culinary school is a lot of students struggle to really find the meaning in the academics and really connect it all together. So it seems like you've had a really unique opportunity in being able to really see that come full circle and really be connected and understand why the academic side isn't important and really how it's all interrelated. So I think that's really interesting and I'm sure that more students could benefit from doing something like that to really get a better grasp on the big picture for sure. Yeah, I can relate. I can relate to uh, to what we make in a in a bake shops uh, from like way before the 80s. They would make French macarons and they were not exactly the same as now, but they revived it with a bunch of colors and fillings and uh, like you said, Molly, uh, history repeats itself. Um, I can see it through what we make also. For sure, yeah. It's definitely crazy how um, quickly everything is evolving and it's definitely a lot different now, but you definitely can see the similarities from the past for sure. Yeah, whenever I, I try to create something new in my back shop when I was in the industry, 
someone would tell me, oh, yeah, this was made 30 years ago. <laughs> oh. I know, just when you thought you had a new creative yep. idea, right? They're like, oh, yep, that's been done already years mm -hmm. ago. <laughs> but it is a an interesting opportunity to try and maybe um, improve upon that idea or pastry and kind of see how you can put your own spin on it but it definitely yeah well you can you can mix it with some like maybe new products at a time or a new a new uh, machine or, or technique that was not there before you know like with the appearance of seal pads and things like that silicone molds we can revive some old pastries and make them different and up upgraded definitely that's very true all right. Well, I know that we've touched on it a little bit when we were talking with Molly, but I think since this podcast is focused around food trends, it is important to start to really define the difference between a food fad, a food trend, and a movement because sometimes they can all be kind of lumped together when really they're pretty different things and can have different significances to the industry. So I was wondering what in all of your experiences has been have you experienced as the difference between those three things? I, I would say that they all start the same. You know, we don't know what's going to stick uh, or what's going to be become a, a, a huge movement, a, a bigger deal. But I think at the beginning, someone start with something, uh, something new and they post it or they advertise it and either it sticks and it's not a fad or everybody does it and it becomes a movement. That's my point. That's my take, actually. I, I agree. I agree with Chef Legal. Um, you know, but it's it's interesting to think. I, I think of like a fad might be one product, cake pops, for instance, or something. And um, and then that might you know those might still exist. And then I think, and those might uh, go go into trends. I, I think movements. You know, <clears throat> to me, it's movement. It seems like a, a larger scale change in our food culture so i would say the the bread movement of the 1990s or which has now is now mainstream or even the local grain movement now at this point so um it, i think it depends a little bit on a, whether it's a product or whether it's a area or a type of farm to table i would think it wasn't really a, maybe it was a fad but it was became a movement right it's hard to, it's hard to describe are hard to define the differences, I think. Yeah, I, I think also the, the, the media uh, uh, has a lot to do with with make it stick or not. Uh, if they don't talk about it, then that thing's gonna die. Is there, if it's all over the news or the the media, the, the, the internet, then then probably those those fads would, would become trends. Yeah. Um, so kind of going off of that, do you feel like bakeries have a responsibility or kind of need to be well researched in the latest trends in order to be successful i don't i don't think so i think you just have to look at the type of bakery that it is i mean if we think about someplace doing you know petite gateau and entremets and you know kind of a, a patisserie you know that's kind of part of its charm is that it is contemporary then i think you might have to but you know, there are a bunch of bakeries around America that have been making the same stuff we've been making for, you know, 50 years. So, and that's fine. That's what people want. Um, so I don't think it's necessarily 
they have to be adding food trends to be successful. I think they can, their success comes on many levels and, and capitalizing on food trends or, you know, being, uh, being a charismatic place that is sought after is, is one type of success. Yeah, I, I would say it depends on where, where, where they are. Is, is there in the middle of the big city? And uh, uh, they might have to follow more the trends because people are more into listening around them what's going on. But like you said, if you're in the middle of the countryside in the middle of the US and you have a customer base that like your chocolate chip cookies the way they are, you're not going to change them because a trend suddenly appears. That's I agree with you, Chef. Yeah, it's a very important point too because you don't want to sacrifice the integrity of your products just to fit a trend because there also be customers who will be angry that you know they came to get that chocolate chip cookie and you changed it just because of you know something going around the internet so i could see how there's really kind of two sides to that and how it is probably important for some bakeries to follow these trends but it also is just as important for some others to kind of stay true to some of those classics that they have as well. Sure. Yeah, and, and some of these trends that's going on, they're impossible for uh, a production type of pastry chef to do, but somehow they have to uh, still look at what's going on and, and maybe adjust what they're doing a little bit. But there's some of these pastries that they show on the internet that just they spend the whole day doing one cake and <laughs> that's just not feasible money wise. Yeah, that's very true. I don't know if you've experienced this, Molly, but we talked about this a lot in our um, petit gâteau class and the buffet class because when we were doing our production, we would see all of these examples of things we wanted to make that were on Instagram and they were all beautiful and such intricately made. But when you really think about it, they may have spent hours on just maybe a few of those and that's just not realistic, especially for a buffet production. So you really kind of have to like think to yourself, especially if you are a bakery who needs to be making a profit, what of that is doable and what isn't because it's definitely deceiving what they post on Instagram sometimes. Right, and that's what we see unfortunately most, not what's going on in the bakeries. That's unfortunate, but uh, that's the way it is. I have not gotten to my petit gâteau Class, which I'm so excited for. However, I know exactly what you're talking about because I see all of these things on Instagram and I get so excited about them and I'm so amazed by them. And I just have talked about them with chefs before and just the thought of how long it will take is just, it's mind blowing. But kind of going back to that idea is when it comes to food trends, I think that it, like my one issue with food trends is I mean, there are these ideas that people have and it makes them so unique. I mean, it's like someone has this amazing idea and this is what made me so interested in this topic and what I'm so passionate about with this topic is because a food trend is basically someone had this original idea that someone just thought up of and completely reinvented the way that someone did something and then you have other people it's so successful and then other people start to see that and want to emulate that and so the question is does it start to lose the originality and so that's where i you know struggle so much whenever i'm looking at these amazing things that i see on instagram and how they affect bakeries like you said because 
you know, they have these bakeries who want to have to compete with everyone, but then at the same time, you don't want to be stepping on the toes of the original creator of this phenomenal idea, you know, or you also want to be creating your own thing and you want to be known for your own thing. So I think it's just such an intricate web of how the world works, how social media plays into bakeries and how it's such a, um, like, such a customer driven market. Like it's so customer driven when you have these chefs who want to do what they want to do and then uh, food trends and social media and it's so many parts at play. And so I just think it's such an interesting topic to discuss in um, the business side of bakeries as well. That's very true. I'm sure you could write a novel on this for your thesis <laughs> if you wanted it. it. There's really so many different avenues you can go down and it, there's, there's a lot of different intricacies of it. So I'm sure that you've had your work cut out for you for sure. But that is a very interesting point to think about, you know, originality and how that's something you always want to strive for as a pastry chef, but can definitely be hard. As you were mentioning how most trends really originated maybe 30 years ago. So it's definitely getting a lot harder, but it's a good challenge for us now. Yeah. So Chef Legal, as you're teaching classes, I know you were previously teaching some chocolates and sugars classes and you teach a few other labs. Um, what have you been noticing any trends, especially maybe in the chocolate industry or during any classes that you were teaching at JWU? Well, uh, I just had a, a, a student uh, on my last uh, segment that uh, made some uh, chocolates with uh, bacon and maple uh, flavor. Uh, the bacon can come through a little bit, but we had to work on the, on the maple. Uh, it was not coming through with the bitterness of the chocolate. But I guess that's a trend that I see through the students uh, coming through. Uh, otherwise, it seems like the more flamboyant the colors on the chocolates, the more the more it's trendy. That's what I'm seeing. Well, just a little advice. Uh, we tried to do a red wine ganache. That didn't work at all. Oh, no. That was disgusting, yeah. <laughs> that is unfortunate, but I guess that just shows you about all of the trial and error that goes into all of these but the, recipes. The thought, was, the thought was good because red wine, chocolates, side by side, they're fine. But once you mix them, they're not good at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is good to know. Thank you for yeah. that. <laughs> Uh, Chef Miskiewicz, I know you said as a dean you haven't been able to teach as often, but especially when you're working on curriculum development or teaching a lab, do you tend to take the food trends or movements into account in that planning process? Um, I'm, I just want to point out that I'm, a, I'm a department chair, not a dean. Um, uh, that would be like our new dean, Jason Evans, and Dr. Marshall, and TJ Deladon, Gail Stansfield. Okay. They're, they're all deans. Um, just so we all know, you know, just so everyone is aware of the structure. But anyway, um, so Chef Legal knows about this too, like to, to, to work on curriculum, to create a curriculum like we just did for the semester conversion and, and consequent, and at the same time updated, you know, looked at the industry, looked at what was happening and, and wrote curriculum to reflect that and to train people for, for those industries. We, uh, you know, fads and trends really aren't considered. For one, it takes a long time. Like the classes that we are teaching and that you're taking this year 
have been years in the making, even if it was kind of conceptualizing, you know, how the classes would, would uh, be broken up. And you've, you know, both, both of you have been through the nine day period and trimesters and into semesters. So you know how the classes have changed. And, and so we think about those content areas and then we think about like what belongs in there. And, and so because it does take a long time, if it's, you know, we can kind of tell if it's, if it's a trend, but, but even, that's not even that much of a temptation because we know that we're creating something that's going, that needs to look back, uh, use traditional things, look forward and, and, and be updated, but not necessarily just grab anything that happens to be super hot, you know, right at the moment. Right. And, and that's because we want it to be, have staying power, right? It's, it's, le it's legit, right? We, you know how to do, um, you know, classics. And then we also talk about, you know, for instance, since the last time we did this gluten-free baking has, I would say is, you know, here to stay. Right. And, okay. you know, sustainability, you know, when I first started working at, uh, 18 years ago, we still had styrofoam cups and, and, and the bread classes dramatically changed at that point to, to reflect the artisan bread movement. So, so what we can do though, because we don't want to have our hands tied, right? Because Chef Legal says, oh, this is a cool ganache filling. We, we should try that. And so the way that we write those is, is that we have objectives, you know, a student will be able to do this. Um, but there's, is we, we keep it open, right? Don't they make these um, um, products, including but not limited to the phrase that is used in there. So we say, okay, we can say, uh, uh, you know, will encompass sweet and savory uh, bonbon fillings, right? So that means, oh, we can do those. It doesn't matter what it is. So we leave ourselves room to look around and say, oh, let's do that for a flatbread. Let's make that kind of cake without having to change the whole class. It's, it's actually really interesting. <laughs> Yeah, yeah a... I, I, I agree with, with you, Chef, for sure. It's, it's more based on the skills and the techniques than the final product that can change. If we say in, that, if we say in a class, you will make a, you know, uh, uh, a Danish filling with damsel plums and we get that specific, you have to do that, right? Yeah. So we just say sweet and savory fillings and then everyone's like, hey, I'm really into this flavor and try it out. That makes sense for sure. And it's definitely interesting to kind of learn more about how the curriculums are formed and how you can kind of leave a little bit of wiggle room for students to be creative and maybe incorporate a trend or just something that they've seen that they've wanted to try out. So it's definitely interesting. Kind of going off of that a little bit, some of the trends that I've been seeing a little bit more lately have been adding kind of unusual substitutes to food um, but I definitely think that that can get tricky now that we're talking about an individual product into getting more into the fad topic um, but I mean do you think that there's a difference between something like charcoal charcoal ice cream or adding aquafaba to make a meringue I, I think there's a I think there can there can be a big difference and the <clears throat> question I ask myself is, is that a functional ingredient? Well, for, for aquafaba meringue, it is, right? It's a vegan meringue. And so you need that aquafaba, you need that bean juice to create that. 
the charcoal ice cream to me that's maybe flavoring and I, i'm not oh is i think uh um you and molly might be more knowledgeable about charcoal and its effects and flavors and stuff like that but um does that does that serve a function right if it doesn't no. then if it doesn't then i'm less interested in it than oh i need to have this this bean juice is aquafaba to create this thing yeah, I think no, a definitely. I think they've actually had some data come out that it actually serves a negative function and it can actually be harmful to your health. So, but so then, then I think as people in the food service industry, we should just say, okay, wait a minute, it's not serving a function and it may be harmful. So, why why do we support the use of this ingredient? That's crazy. There's no no, no benefit to it at all. The fact is, well, the, the only the only thing I can see is that the customers really want it because it's just a fad, and then it's just gonna go away fast. Yeah, aesthetic purposes. I feel like it would be really fun to try and find uh, something that is not harmful that can create the same kind of color. Which I don't I don't know I don't know very much about charcoal and the use of it in food, but I feel like it would be a fun thing to do kind of talking about going back to using more natural colors in baked goods and things like that trying to find something that can replace charcoal and create that dark color that everybody wants for their aesthetic photos to follow that trend that is tastes good has a function and also is you know more helpful yeah i think you nailed it now he has to taste good first um... <laughs> Some of these natural colors uh, are very strong. They are compatible with everything we can make. And, and then I, I think we should consider, you know, the type of product. So like squidding pasta, right? That's classic thing. Um, and it works well in a savory thing. But do we need to have black ice cream that's not naturally turned that color from the ingredients? I don't know. You know? I don't know. Uh, another food trend that I have noticed is the use of CBD in baking, um, especially now that um, all of that is legalized, it has definitely become a lot bigger. But do you think that this trend is here to stay? Or do, you, do you see, do you have an idea of maybe where it will go? Yeah, I think uh, it is here to stay. And, and kind of to... Uh, reinforce my last statement or this statement about how we design curriculum um you know johnson and wales has a cannabis entrepreneurship program starting in the fall and so that's that's a sign where it's it's accepted enough and that the industry has developed enough that johnson and wales is will, it, will invest in creating an entire new bs program and, and think and it's pretty exciting because there are a lot of different aspects that can affect different colleges and um and then when we look around uh with cbd and cbd is 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 legal at this point due to the 2018 farm bill so and you've probably seen it even it's it's kind of another example of what you just mentioned um in gas stations right you can see by cbd gummies and 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 johnson and wales is you know we have a we have a health aspect to our university right there's a physician's assistant school there's a therapy program and you know a lot of that that active ingredient cbd which is not psychoactive helps people with ptsd and helps people with anxiety and helps people with sleeping disorders and all kinds of different health benefits and and so it fits in perfectly with with what we do with college of health and wellness and within 
College of Food Innovation and Technology. So, but it, it naturally branches out into, uh, again, as Chef Regal mentioned earlier, we're method-based, right? So if you can make the uh, pet of wheat, you with raspberry, you could also make it with uh, hemp oil, CBD oil as well. So um, it we're, we're super well poised to learn from the people down city. It's a college of business program that talks about the industry, the industry, just like we always talk about the food service industry and, and they, there's a Venn diagram that, you know, right. They, they overlap each other a little bit with, uh, because it is an edible thing. It's something that people consume and college of food innovation and technology is really good at taking raw ingredients and turning it into, um, a consumable item, whether that's a beverage, whether that's a sauce, whether that's a, uh, chocolate, whether that's a baked good, um, we, we know how to do that. And, and, and it, so it's, it's, um, you know, it's a reflection of the greater industry. And I, you know, it's perfect for this conversation because there's a big enough economy built around the, um, the cannabis industry, both within the United States and around the world that I would say it's, it's not a, you know, it's definitely not a fad and or even a trend like it's definitely a a movement or you know it, it's a mainstream uh part of the food service industry at this point it's still young but it is uh it's not going to fade away uh, i agree with you yeah it's not going to go away for sure and and, and we want you know and we want people we, you know we want everyone to go through the program to see what you know what's the best way to use this how do you use it safely? You know, it's, it's, it's needs to be treated with care. Um, like a lot of things do, you know, including fat and sugar and alcohol and all of that. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 you know, the, the, the vision is to, uh, not just have this program down city, but have it overlap into the college of food innovation technology. So there, there might be a, a food science, uh, product development class specifically about cannabis products, right? but then it sprouts off and and goes into other curriculum too another i guess you could say more of a movement as it really has evolved pretty rapidly over the years is the farm to table movement and really using traceable ingredients what my question is to all of you is do you feel like this has been influenced more by the desire from a pastry chef or a chef to produce the best tasting food or more from the pressures of social responsibility I think it's, I think the real movement is based in the integrity of the people who are making that food and their desire to get the best possible ingredients and make the best possible food they can and know that there are people out there who will be attracted to that. And, and if someone's heart really isn't into it, it's going to be visible for those that know, right? So if you say you're you're making uh, fresh fruit tarts, you know, in Providence, uh, and the fruit that is on that tart is not in season. <laughs> you know, it's it's pretty visible, and right. and the people who do, they might even say, you know what, no fresh fruit tarts this week because there's no fruit, or <laughs> it's, you know, it's not good enough. We just don't, you know, it's out of season. They haven't strawberries haven't started. Har- strawberry harvest isn't yet, so we can't do that. So. It's a, again, it's a sliding scale. Some people might get in on the bandwagon 
but it's not legit. Right. It, 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 it was hard for me to, to, to stay in season when I was working in the industry. Uh, big hotel, big resorts. We have menus that are set up. People book months in advance. And, and if we mention the word strawberry on the menu, then we have to have it even in December when it's 10 times the price. Uh, it was hard to to take the time to go to the local market and then see what's there and come back and with whatever I could get uh, and try to do pastries with that. It was basically impossible for the size we were making. For the and that's and that's understandable. It's just, but you weren't selling it. You weren't you know like saying, oh, we'll have some seasonal fruit in December because you knew you just have what you might have and. You know, that, that, that I think is the distinction about whether it's socially driven, you know, they feel forced to do that or whether, or whether it's really in the DNA of the organization. And I'm not saying it's, I'm not saying it's bad to have non-seasonal fruit. It's just, uh, it's just whether people acknowledge that or, you know, try to take on the mantle of farm to table type cuisine. When I first decided that I wanted to do culinary, follow a culinary path, um, Farm to table wasn't really something that was on my radar, but since I've been in, um, since I've been studying culinary, I've realized that I can't imagine wanting to do pastry and not do farm to table. I just think that creating desserts that are, you know, that you have either seen the farm or seen the people that you're getting the products from or things like that. I think it, it's just, I, I I think it's one of my favorite parts of, you know, learning um, pastry. And I think a lot of it is social, uh, based on what, well, a lot of it is based on what I'm researching because I've read a lot and um, a lot of it says that, you know, a lot of uh, it's socially driven. So what uh, people are really about farm to table and that's a huge social movement right now. And, um, so that's being reflected in the culinary industry, I think, even more than ever, or more obviously, and more, it's marketed significantly more um, because it's, you know, what society wants and what society wants is kind of what in consumer market or consumer oriented markets is what, you know, people have to produce. And so that's, that's my take on the, based on what I've read so far and how it's played in, in the food trends that I've read about. Um, that's how that kind of plays in. What, what, do, what do you think some of, this is a question both for uh, Maggie and Molly, like what do you think some of the experiences you had in the past couple of years made, you know, brought uh, the farm to table movement more into your consciousness? Personally, I worked, uh, after freshman year, I worked at a very strict uh, farm to table uh, restaurant or in uh, vineyard in Newport called Newport Vineyards. And it was um, a phenomenal experience. And from there is kind of where I first was hit with this farm to table um, movement passion. And then after that, I kind of started with that in the back of my mind, I started to see it more and more in our classes. Um, just in like the way that chefs would speak or mention about, um, I know we did a chocolates project uh, with, 
where we were focusing on fair trade and things like that, that kind of would, is, is in that similar realm. So uh, I kind of noticed that chefs would mention that or chefs would mention, you know, don't, don't be choosing specific fruits, you know, unless they're, unless they make sense. So I think if I didn't, you know, it's background knowledge and then having the chefs kind of let you know, uh, having more tidbits. And then now I just follow a bunch of people on Instagram and everywhere I go, I try and make sure it's either farm to table or those are the things that I really focus on. So it's the experience in the field that kind of experienced my first job that kind of pushed me towards that farm to table uh, love, passion. Definitely. I, I agree that I did have a lot of just experiences either at work or with family that has shown me, but I do feel for sure that the advanced the baking and pastry the bachelor's degree for that that has really opened my eyes to that as well because unlike the associate's degree you really have a lot more responsibility and opportunities in that degree whereas even in the breads classes and in buffets you're doing your own ordering you have to come up with the rec you have to decide what ingredients you're putting in what flavors you're doing and it really kind of shows you like okay, maybe you want to do something passion fruit, but it's the middle of the winter and that probably isn't going to be the best quality product. So maybe that's not something that you should do right now. We do have some really great purees and stuff and there are ways that you can do it, but it definitely just makes you think about that for sure. And another thing that we also got the opportunity to do in the bachelor's was actually we did a chef's table. And in that process, we chose one ingredient that we were focusing on that was local and we did a whole presentation on it we found out where it's from how they produce it um and kind of got to present that to the whole class and really feature that in our dishes and I thought that that was really cool especially having the opportunity to you know choose something that we wanted and really highlight that and I thought that that really opened my eyes for sure to the farm to table movement and really how much of a difference it can make in just the flavor of your products and really just the whole experience in total. So I really think that it's a really cool opportunity and something I definitely enjoyed a lot about the bachelor's program because I feel like I really got a lot more of that hands-on experience and really learning all of the methods and processes, not just, you know, this is what you're going to make and then executing the recipe. I really learned about all of the aspects of that. So. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, those are good answers. Thanks. I mean, and that's, of course, how the bachelor's uh, bachelor degree is designed. It's like you get those two years of foundation classes. So you, we know you know how to make pastry cream. And right. then you can uh, do your own twist on it, you know. So interesting. But... Yeah, for sure. I, I definitely recommend the bachelor's program to anybody who's looking for oh it goodness. i'm very glad that i was able to do the bachelor's in baking as well because i do think that there's a lot of really good skills besides just the baking part you know the organizing ordering all of that is really important and i think it's great that we get to see that before we're going out to a job you know definitely can help hopefully down the line to work towards a more managerial position Big time. And I'm right in the middle. So I'm right. I haven't finished. I'm in the middle of the bachelor's program right now. And I am 
you know, I'm experiencing, I'm able to take these things that I'm seeing on Instagram. And, you know, when I was working on my associate's degree and I was wanting to do these things that I see all these people doing, all these pastry people that I follow on social media and stuff. And now I'm at the point where I'm doing it in classes and I am actually currently working on my artisanal uh, food project right now. And I am just, I cannot be more happy. I cannot be more excited about um, being in this bachelor's program and also um, seeing how, how important it is to be in this bachelor's program in regards to being in the industry too, because it's giving you real life, like it's giving you like, you know, like you said all about this um, experience that ordering things and planning menus and keeping food trends in mind. I mean, I'm in my plated desserts class with Chef Schick and we are talking about food trends, what's popular, what's out of the box, how we can incorporate, you know, popular food trends or how we can manipulate food trends and change what we know traditional things like neoclassics and things like that so i am just i i'm also would recommend this to anyone the bachelor's program well thank you we're glad to hear that i mean chef yeah. and i earlier today had a, a meeting i mean uh I'm, we're, gl we're thrilled to hear that it's so uh useful and and rewarding now and just so you know, we're, we're getting ready to look at that again and try to continually improve like we always want to do. So, so uh, I'll just say for you all and anyone who's listening that we always want feedback. You know, student feedback is so important. You know, what works and what doesn't and what's rewarding. We don't always know. And, and we're big proponents of asking you, like, what is it that you want and what is it that works? So that's great to hear your comments now. Thank you very much. Yeah, to have a little bit more feedback, Maggie, you, you mentioned that when you first started at Johnson & Wales, you didn't know you were going to go for the P4, but when when did you know? Honestly, pretty quickly. I mean, I think my in my heart I always wanted to do it, but my mom was pretty adamant and it did make sense, you know, that I would need to get the business degree as well. Um, but I think really starting to go in the classes and seeing the work that the juniors and seniors were doing. I just knew I wanted to do it. And luckily with some of the flexibility in the schedule, I was able to take some extra courses and get both the business and P4 degree in the four years. Um, and it definitely was a lot of work, but I think it was very rewarding and definitely worth it because I mean, I couldn't imagine just going straight to the business degree and not doing the P4 degree. And it was nice to have the option. That's why I was going to hear that you started one route, but then you changed, okay? Yeah, definitely. And it's nice that you have that option that you're not stuck. You know, you'd come in and you want to do this and that's the only option you have, you know. It was definitely good that I had that time to be able to figure out really what I did want and I had the resources and capabilities to kind of change that and have it all work out still. So. I'm definitely grateful that I had that opportunity. Do you think you're a very uh, typical student to have found out that early or most students figure it out later? I think it's kind of in the middle. Actually, a surprising number of people in my class that I know of actually did end up double majoring. And I think a lot of it comes from the similar philosophy for me. You know, we all want that business background, you know, in case we do want to open up our bakery our own day or even 
just in general, if you want to have a managerial position or anything, just having that business knowledge is very important. But we also don't want to give up the baking. You know, that's where our heart is. We don't want, you know, to be sitting in business classes for two years and not wasting, you know, an opportunity that we could be learning more and getting more practice and working with the chefs. So I think I have noticed a lot of people who were able to double major. And I think that that has been pretty cool and interesting to see what people decide. I'm like pretty much that exact same boat, Maggie. Like I was, I wanted that business, like same thing. I want, you want that business degree, but then you also want to be baking. I couldn't agree more. And I ended up deciding I was pretty dead set on not doing the P4 program just because it just didn't seem feasible for me. Um, It didn't make sense. I thought I would rather get experience in the industry rather than um, in class or in labs. And I decided soft, I think midway through sophomore year, I decided um, that what I really wanted to do was go for the bachelor's degree. And so I decided to make that switch and it was, it was possible to make the switch in it. And I'm very, very, very happy that I did it because it's, it was 110% worth it. What, what do you wish was in P, uh, in the bachelor's program that you didn't, that is not there? I do think buffet is really good because it does give you a little bit of a better glimpse into what real life production is. But I do think some of the labs are, I know that this would probably be hard to build into a lab because of time and money, especially for ingredients and just the waste. But I do think that you don't always get a real picture of what real life production is going to look like because you know, especially in some of like the other classes, some of the classes you're maybe, you know, you're working on some one product or one or two products for the whole day, which is kind of what we were talking about on the Instagram earlier, how, you know, you get to spend all this time making this one thing perfect, but then you get out into the industry and you're like, you know, you need to finish this cake in 30 minutes. So I definitely think that that has been a little bit of a hard adjustment for me, but I don't know exactly how you would build that into the curriculum more. One thing I would kind of want to add in um, is a little more like beverage. I know that's something that you can do. Like I know that you kind of you can go take other classes, but we had um we had a bit of a wine tasting and pairing with desserts in this plated class in my plated class that I'm in, in contemporary plated class. Um, but I just wish we had more time to focus on that because there's just so much great so much great information in each class i wish each class was even longer than it already is and i know we just extended them even longer but i would love to see a little bit more inclusion of running like running production like running a full production but also running making decisions like that as well that influence with like drinks and pairings and things like that too. It hasn't run yet, but in the revamped associates program, we have a class that will be starting next year called Artisan Cafe, which does have some culinary concepts, right? It's, okay. it's like a cafe concept where uh, students will learn to make salad dressings and, you know, sandwiches and smoothies and coffee and, you know, some of the things that both of you just mentioned. And it's always, you know, been a weakness of the of the uh, baking pastry program to not have any culinary at all. So would, would, do you think it would be good to have like a more of an advanced kind of 
culinary class from the cafe uh, yeah. in in the bachelor's baking and pastry program? I mean, it's hard to say since we haven't taken that class, but maybe right, even you know. just incorporating that into one of the classes or like maybe into the plate desserts class, you know, having to really focus maybe a, for a few days on really incorporating like savory co- components into it or just savory cooking in general just some of those techniques because even some of the savory cooking techniques can be used in pastry applications as well yeah and the idea is to have it be an actually functioning cafe you know in the same way that we've had bake sales or the same way that you see um the cabs classes you know where you can order and pick up a meal we want you know baking and pastry students to be able to go out and make sandwiches and right. make a make a vinaigrette and make soup and have this these uh, uh, entrepreneurial you know business that includes that is a cafe, right? Where you can have a sandwich and a very nice dessert as well. I think we should the, save that portion of the, of the <laughs> podcast there. <laughs> I know we sound like an ad campaign. Um, yeah, we're, 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 we're not paid. sponsored. Um, but, <laughs> uh, don't want to be too French, but I need to go. <laughs> yeah, we, we got a little, to bring we got a little to soccer. carried away here. <laughs> I know we got sidetracked. <laughs> we sure it's did. Interesting though, it's super helpful. It's super helpful. You know, I don't know if all that will make it in the podcast. But <laughs> I would love to have a recording of this because it's super interesting yep. and very, very useful uh, information for us. All right. Well, thank you all so much for taking part in our March Pastry Arts Club podcast. I really appreciate all your time and all of your really useful um, feedback and knowledge. So thank you so much, everybody, and hope you all have a great day. Thank you for your knowledge and uh, <laughs> feedback, too. Thank you very much, Chef. Yeah, yeah. Thank you as well. Uh, it was an honor. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you Chef. again for including me, guys. Oh, thank you Bye so now. much. It's been very fun having another student's perspective as well, especially someone who is so knowledgeable on food trends. <laughs> I will be sure to let you know when this it comes out. Great. Right. Thank you. Great. Thank Bye. you so much. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye now. Bye. Bye.